Good morning. It's a great day to worship Jesus. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for loving us. Lord, we do commit our hearts to you this morning. Lord, everything that we are, we give to you, we surrender to you. Lord, I just ask that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, just fill me up. Uh, Lord, that you would fill each of, us, each of us up in this room. God, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would spur us on, that we would leave here today, Lord, more committed and more in love with you than when we came. And Lord, I also want to pray for anybody that's here this morning that is without a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would speak especially to their hearts today. Lord, that you would just, uh, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, just infuse your righteousness into those that are here today that are without Christ. And God's people said, Amen. General Ferdinand Falk, F-O-C-H, regarded as a World War I hero, sent the following dispatch to his superiors at a time when his army was in deep in trouble. Hard-pressed on my right. My center is giving away. Impossible to maneuver. Situation excellent. I attack. Folks' words illustrate courage instead of fear, faith instead of capitulation or surrender, resolve instead of paralysis, and his counterintuitive counterattack successfully thwarted a strategic enemy advance. Could these be words for the church today in this economic meltdown? I think so. When things get scary, and they are, the instinct and the tendency for most churches and organizations is to cut tail and run. Is to, is to fold the tent, is to cut back, is to circle the wagons. This is the business way, and it usually makes sense. However, I see in Scripture, and I believe that the Lord uses crisis. He uses crisis time and time again in His Word to develop good things, to birth new life. Bad times can produce fresh ideas and new ways to pursue the mission of making and growing disciples. In the infamous words of Pastor John Stocker here at Resurrection Fellowship, he told me one morning at breakfast, he said, Dan, he said, when the going gets tough, you know what happens? People come to Jesus. And this is the greatest time in the history of most of us in this room to be a Christian. There's more hope, there's more fertile soil. The harvest is riper now than I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I'm so desiring that that the Lord would use us as a body of Christ, continue to use us to make known the great name of Jesus. Let's look at two biblical moments of adversity and the opportunity that these people had to pull back, that they had for capitulation or surrender. The first moment was a sad one. It came when Israel, in Numbers 13, reached the borders of the Promised Land, their mission. They'd been in the wilderness. They'd been... People have died... They were hungry. Twelve spies were sent into the promised land and they came back. Ten of them with the tail between their legs. Two of them wanted to go in. The other ten said they're big down there. That was their mission. That's what they, that's where they were headed for when they left Egypt. Yet they cut tail and they ran. God promised that land. Their fear-based decision cost them 40 more miserable years in the desert. 
You know, the church in America could do that same thing right now. At Windsor Community Church, we could operate with fear. As Dino said, we're thankful that the Lord is ahead of this church. And we take great counsel in knowing that the Lord has called us. He's called every one of you to this body to be a part of this mission. And we know that he's got a great plan for us. The second moment in history is an exciting one. It came at a time of uncertainty and persecution. It's Stephen in Acts chapter 8. Remember what happened to Stephen? Stephen boldly gave his testimony to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, it was a chapter and a half of, in Acts of him giving testimony to his faith in Jesus. They stoned him to death. And you know what happened? Christians fled out and they were, the church was persecuted. But praise be to God, the church was birthed. The church to the Gentiles, to you and me, was birthed out of that persecution. And Stephen's boldness in times of adversity. Consider, folks, that we are on the cusp of, I think, the greatest revival of hearts for the Savior that we've seen in our lifetimes. Now, I'm a little skeptical of revivals because most of them are contrived. But if you look back in 1859, the revival that affected a lot of Europe and a lot of America, what's going on right now is very similar to that. That revival was birthed by economic collapse, economic disaster. The economy is much worse then in the 1850s than it is now. But remember, when things get tough, when the going gets tough, people do come to Jesus. Now, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's going to happen in this economy. In fact, I'm more of a glasses half full guy than I am a half empty guy. But it's important for us to have our head out of the sand, not in the sand. Not to expect or hope and think about what's worse. But to take care of business today, because we don't know what's coming. Although we know every day I, I know somebody else has lost their job. And when we have our hope in Jesus, it's painful enough. But there's people out there that are losing their jobs that they put their hope in their jobs. They put their hope in their spouses. They put their hope in retirement. They put their hope in things. Now there's people my age, 50. Like Gary gave me a 50s model watch, he said. You know why? Because I don't have to do this. It's right here. There's guys and gals my age, the baby boomers, that are starting to get towards the retirement years. And the dreams and hopes that we had, the retirement that we had thought that we would have, we look back and it's not happening. For many of you it is, for many of us not. I take great comfort knowing that my hope is in Jesus. There are people in this community, Windsor, Colorado, it is an upper middle class town with dreams that are crashing on people. And their hearts are more fertile right now than they ever have been. So praise be to God for a tornado and for economic problems. I don't wish it on any of you, by the way. I really don't. I know it's hard, but it's exciting. We have annual strategic planning. We get together as leaders. There's a a team of 10 of us that get together once a year for a full day. This year we met from 8 o'clock to about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We call it strategic planning. This year we met in December. And what we did is we went around the room and we asked for evidence We ask for each other to testify for evidence of God's grace. What do you see? What do you see? And unlike any other year that I've been a part of this church from Mountain View, it was evidence of God's grace after evidence of God's grace after evidence of God's grace. And I want to tell you that you all here at this church are evidence of God's grace because He has has brought and He is bringing the parts into this body to complete this body. So that we can march through this town, march to the front range of Colorado, march to the ends of the earth with Christ at the head 
make known the great news of Jesus Christ. We also discuss areas of the church that may need shoring up. And there are areas in this body, particularly one paid staff person I know, that needs shoring up. And his name is not Joanne. He spent, uh, we spent most of our session discussing, praying, and developing a vision for the next five years. Now, we have had visions before. We have, we have put vision on paper, but never like we have this time. And we're looking at, and we've set a five-year vision. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that vision at the end of this message today. And then Pastor Chris is going to deep dive into the mission next week. And then after next week, we're going to get started in Genesis, which we are so excited about. Seven years of this church, we've never taught through the Old Testament. And guess what? I'm scared to death. And I think Dean and Chris are too, if they were honest. (laughs) But excited, right? As I gave much thought this week about the terms mission, core values, and vision, it gave me a headache. Because they they all just kind of seem to to go together. But I'm going to give the best shot I can today because it's clear in my mind and hopefully I can make it clear in your mind what the difference is between a mission, core values, and vision. And we're going to spend most of the time today on the mission and core values. The best example I could come up with is let's just assume that my son Mitch, who's graduating from college spring of 2010, decides that he wants to take some time off and he wants to travel. Well, it would be important for Mitch to have a mission on this on this. Deal. Important for him to have his own money, too, but we'll talk about that later. It'd be important for him to have a mission. And his mission might be to rest, to see places he's never seen before, to understand other cultures. His mission answers the question, why? Why he's going on the journey. His mission describes what is the purpose of the journey. It's important to have a mission. His values will govern the trip. Every decision Mitch makes, which town he stops in, which restaurant he eats at, which hostel he stays at, who he travels with, will be governed by his values. These will help him determine good from best and keep him focused in accomplishing the mission. His vision, it's a short, vivid movie of what might be happening on his trip. Okay? So the mission is why he's doing what he's doing. His values are what governs him, what helps him make decisions about which town to stop at, which restaurant to go into, where to sleep. The vision is a short, vivid movie. It's his dream of what might happen on this trip. It's a dream of how he might fulfill his mission of rest and seeing different cultures. He's not taken action yet. He hasn't left on his trip, but he's simply taken a look at the resources evaluating the time and preferred destination and putting together a picture of what he would look like it to look like. Now, we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper, and hopefully this will become clearer, because <laughs> we had breakfast on Thursday morning. Gee, many. Thursday morning, Christine and I would go, okay, now what's, wow, what's the difference between mission and, and vision? And So I found that out last night about 4 in the morning. In the same way as Mitchell's mission... Our mission at Windsor Community Church defines why we as a church exist. It provides purpose. Our mission at Windsor Community Church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. That's our purpose. 
That's it. There's a lot of other stuff around it, but we are here to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. What exactly does that mean? It means, one, that we invest in the lives and ultimately see people give their lives to Christ. If people aren't coming to Christ over time, we need to shut our doors. God is the author of salvation. We can't force anybody to bend their knee. All we can do is open our mouth, share the gospel, be on our knees, and ask the Lord to save people. Secondly, it encompasses teaching, equipping, and encouraging Christians to be sold out. Leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ is not just seeing people come to Christ, but is seeing all of us grow in Christ. Amen? As pastors, we meet twice a month. And on the top of our agenda, twice a month, there's usually two or three verses. And one of the verses that we've had on there probably the last eight months is Colossians 1, 28-29. And we proclaim Him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which mightily works within me. Bottom line, we desire to see people come to Christ and grow to Christ. That's what our job description is as pastors. The believer's mission is to make disciples, Matthew 18, 28. Let's take a look at the core values. Core values are what govern every decision and investment of time and money we make at Windsor Community Church. Core values are what govern every decision and every investment of time and money that we make at Windsor Community Church. Everything we do, we want to run through the core values. They help distinguish between good and best because there's a lot of good things to do out there. And I would submit to you as families, as individuals, you should have your own set of core values that are based on God's Word. Otherwise, it's just the tail wagging the dog. There are so many good things to do. The difference between what's good and what's best. A local church that is driven by urgent matters and consequently lose sight of the important matters over time becomes a church that doesn't matter. Reacting to crises and the latest, greatest ministry technique can, if left unchecked, subtly drive the direction of the church. I'll tell you what, there are so many books, there are so many resources, there are so many seminars on how to do church, on how to shape our ecclesiology, on how to shape our mission, our missiology. And we need to read these books, and as leaders and pastors, we do read these books. But we want the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. And we know that the core values that we're operating off of, the Lord gave to us. And God willing, those core values are not going to change, and our mission is not going to change for the life of this church. Pastor Chris had a situation today that he said I could share about. He had a decision between good and best. You know, Pastor Chris, he doesn't miss Sunday morning If he's not in here, he's with children. If he's not with children, he's in here. And he is devoted to this church. He knows the importance of fellowship. He knows the importance of of worshiping the Lord in word and in song. His son had a track meet today in Colorado Springs. And something that he values where the Lord has him right now is time with his kids. He knows that this time is passing quickly. And it is absolutely a good thing for him to be there today. What's best for Chris today was to be with his son. Okay, and that's how we use values to make decisions. 
that it tells us the difference between what's good and what's best in every decision we make. Let's take a look at our six core values. Number one is intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. God desires an intimate relationship with each of us. So many of us in, in, Christian, in, in the church today, not Windsor Community Church, the global church today, we have so much on radio and Christian books and Christian DVDs that, that we just sit there and just kind of take it in like a fire hose every day. And there's nothing wrong with those. I listen to Christian radio. I watch Christian movies. But God doesn't want us just to have head knowledge. He wants an intimate, dynamic, active relationship with us. He doesn't want our heads just to be puffed up with knowledge that doesn't lead to intimacy. Knowledge is good if it leads to intimacy with Jesus. I want to just go over a couple requirements for intimacy with God. And it's not unlike intimacy with each other or an intimacy with, that spouses have with each other. The first requirement for intimacy is time spent. I can't have intimacy with Nancy unless I am face-to-face with her. can't have intimacy. But I was talking to one of my friends this past week about it. How At times, Nancy and I are lacking emotional intimacy. And it's just because life just passes by and we're missing each other. And when there's not intimacy, the enemy takes a foothold sometimes. You guys know what I'm talking about? The Lord needs us to have face time with our spouse. The Lord wants us to have face time with Him. And this isn't a legalistic exercise, folks. The enemy's going to take a foothold unless we spend regular time on our knees, talking, praying, and listening to the Lord. And one of the primary ways that we listen to the Lord is in His Word. It's in His Word. Also, the Holy Spirit prompts our heart as well. Daniel 6.10. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Daniel was a man that knew the power of prayer. And he knew it led to intimacy with the Lord. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. There are times, I don't know if you're like me, but there are times when it is work for me to get into the word. Honestly, it's work for me to get into the word. I'm just charging through life. Next thing I know, I wonder why these little little foxes in my life, these little foxes are nipping at me and causing me to sin, and I'm stumbling. It's because I lack power. I lack the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of the Holy Spirit is manifest when we have intimacy with the Lord. It's always there for our, for our taking and for empowering us. but it's manifest primarily when we're abiding and intimate with the Lord. The second requirement of intimacy is transparency. You know, if you're spending faith time with your spouse, with your kids, and it's just, it's just small talk, I, I don't do well with small talk, but if it's just small talk, you're never going to know the person the way God's designed them to be known. I just, I want to know, I want to know Shane's heart. 
I want to know what's going on in there. I want to know RJ's heart. And I want you to know my heart. That's where friendship, that's where intimate friendship takes place. And we need to know the Lord's heart. And the way we know the Lord's heart is by spending time in His Word. Also letting Him know what's going on in our life. Newsflash, folks. He already knows what's going on. But there is a spirit of humility and transparency and relationship. When we tell Him that we're hurting, it's okay to hurt. There's a lot going on right now. I know many of you are having financial trials. And I don't mean to make light of it at all. Some of you are having health issues. And I know if you're a believer, I know you know the big picture. But it doesn't make the pain of the moment any easier, does it? Some of you have lost loved ones. Let them know you're hurting. The psalmist in Psalm 63 says, Oh God, Thou art my God. I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. In a dry and weary land where there's no water. The psalmist is saying, It's dry. It's desolate. My life is not going well. Lord, would You meet me? I need You. That's transparency. If you're in a trial, ask Him to remove it. Paul did. 2 Corinthians 10.15 Paul asked the Lord to remove the thorn. Paul said, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord. I begged the Lord three times. Lord, would you remove it? Lord, please remove the trial. God, would you take me out from underneath this trial? Be prepared for an answer that may not be the answer you're looking for. In Paul's case, it wasn't exactly the answer he was looking for. He wanted the trial to be removed. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is perfected in your weakness. So be transparent with the Lord. Tell him, expose your heart to him. Confess your sin and ugliness to him. Go to Psalm 51. It is one of my favorite psalms. It's it's David. We've talked about it from up front before. It's David just crying out before the Lord after being convicted by sin. And he said, Lord, it's against you and only you that I have sinned. Yeah, David sinned against Bathsheba. He has sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his whole kingdom. But he was transparent to the Lord saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I sinned against you. And he says, create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Be transparent with the Lord. He knows how you're feeling, but He wants an intimate relationship with you. Let me ask you this. Is your relationship growing with God? There was about a decade and a half that my relationship, I was a a spiritual dwarf. My relationship with the Lord didn't grow at all. I had no discipling. I had no church family. My wife wasn't walking with the Lord either. I didn't spend time in the Word. The only time I prayed is when I needed out of a jam. Is your relationship growing with the Lord? If it's not, and you you like it to grow, you'd like to be more intimate with the Lord, talk to me. Talk to Dean, talk to Chris. We'd love to point you in the right direction. Second, Core value is encountering God in His Word. 
encountering God in His Word. And, and these words are very purposeful that the Lord put on our hearts that we put on paper. Is that we want to encounter God in His Word. We don't want to just read it. It is a story from beginning to end about redemption of mankind, God's love story with us, His desire for an intimate relationship with us. God has spoken to us through the Bible, and we recognize it as as the final authority in our lives. It's the final truth. God gave us His Word as a final revelation of who He is, His plan to redeem the world, and how we're to live as Christians. Here at Windsor, we're committed to teaching, as you know, verse by verse. Every once in a while, like this week and next Sunday, we take a pause. Many of you are here at this church because of the style of teaching, going through the word verse by verse. That's good. We're glad you're here. And we hope that you grow through the teaching. But we so desperately want you to be able to encounter God and His Word on your own as well. Not just getting fed on Sunday morning. It's not a bad thing. But learning to encounter God on your own. And if, if, if you're just struggling with that, if you're not sure how to study the Word, we'd love to help you with that as well. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Have you ever read the same verse that you'd read a hundred times? You go, whoa, what? It says that? It's living and it's active. That's what it means. It's living and it's active. We can never know too much Scripture. Once you've got it memorized, that's what the Lord tells us to continue chewing on it, meditating on it, because He's going to use that Scripture in different ways in our life at different times. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Psalm 119.18 Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. That's a good verse to start on every time you open the word. Lord, open my eyes. Teach me. Help me behold wonderful things. Question. Are your priorities in life consistent with Scripture? Are they consistent with Scripture? Core value number three. Community with believers. I actually think the core value on paper on the website is community group. But community with believers. Because community group, I mean, that's, you know, that's our little term. What God wants is for us to have community with other believers. Accountability, belonging, care, spiritual growth, discipleship, they all happen best in relationship with, with other believers. You want the enemy to take you by the throat? You want to stumble? I don't. A sure guarantee of that is remove yourself from a body of Christ. Not Windsor Community Church necessarily. Because there's lots of good Bible teaching churches out there. But God wants us to be involved with other believers in the context of the local church. The quality of our community, of our biblical community, is essential to our mission. When those outside see exceptional community, when they see us loving each other, the Scripture says, they want to know about it. They'll know we're Christians by our love. In addition, the quality of our community is essential to our Christian growth. You can't grow outside of Christian community. I don't think it can happen. 
I had 15 years of it. Jesus did not educate his disciples in a classroom. A classroom is just one part of the life. Classroom relationships bring students together mainly at a cognitive level. But Jesus incorporated his disciples into everything he did. The fishing, the evangelism, the meals, the parties. They ate together. They shared everything together. Communities are places not just for information transfer. That's not what Windsor Community Church is about. It's just, it's just information transfer. But for modeling and growth and wisdom, only in that setting will the gospel be worked into the fabric of our daily lives and our hearts. It's by living together, rubbing together. Community then is much more than coming together for events in which we exchange data or other social activities or even, even giving one another a temporary emotional support. I'm not here to give any of you emotional support. We're here to give each other the truth of God's word. To get on our knees and intercede for one another. To admonish, encourage, and spur each other on to love and good deeds. A couple of requirements for biblical community. One, we've got to be together. If you want to see a model of the New Testament church, read Acts 2. It's the, it is... It's what we strive for as a church at Windsor Community Church. It's a New Testament church. Acts 2.46 says this, And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. This was after Pentecost. This was after 3,000 people bent their knee to Jesus. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, which is the large gathering, and breaking bread from house to house, small gatherings. That was their community groups. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity, and sincerity of heart. A requirement of biblical community is we've got to be together. We've got to spend time with each other. Second requirement is biblical fellowship. It's not enough just being together. When I'm together with Stan, when I'm together with John, Dean, RJ, yes, God wants us to enjoy what he's designed us to enjoy. Watching basketball games. But I also, when I'm sitting there, I just long to have a brother say, you know, man, great shot. Did you see that shot? Hey, by the way, how are you doing at loving your wife, Dan? Hey, what are, you, what are you studying in the Word today? How can I pray for you? That's biblical fellowship. Not contrived. Not going through the motions. John 1, 3-4. First John 1, 3-4. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. Dear friend brought this verse to my attention about a year ago. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. Believer, you can have fellowship with us. Get this. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. As believers, we cannot have fellowship with one another unless we are fellowshipping with the Father at the same time. Otherwise, let's not call it fellowship. Fellowship is when God is involved in some way. And it doesn't mean we can't have fun. Third requirement is meet each other's needs. Acts 2, 44-45, and it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and giving the proceeds to everybody that had a need. This church does these things well. It's a church that loves to be together. It's a church, whenever I'm with the guys, there is, there is dynamic biblical fellowship. It doesn't matter if we're watching basketball. It doesn't matter if it's on the golf course. It doesn't matter if we're shooting trap. I get a sense that there is dynamic biblical fellowship. And talk about meeting needs. There, I can't tell you how many anonymous givers. They weren't anonymous to me because they said, you know, what, can you make sure that such and such gets this? And don't let them know that I gave it to you or I'll have to kill you. We have so many anonymous gifts coming out that is this body loves each other. And that's another reason we're here is to is to meet each other's needs. And um, there's going to be more needs that are going to be arising. So would you be be aware, be alert and let's and let's by God's grace meet these needs, whether it be financial, whether they be spiritual, whether they be emotional question I have for you under this third core value is are you in a small group? Are you in a small group? If you're not in a small group, you're missing out. You're missing out because it is a place to start for genuine biblical community. Fourth core value. We are passionate about service at Windsor Community Church. It is a value here. I mean, you just, you just take a look at, at after the service here. And I mean, the, I mean, the chairs are going to the wall. The, the, the floors are vacuumed. The tables are, are wiped off, put away. The floor is swept. We are passionate about service. Our spiritual gifts have maximum impact when exercised in support of our mission. A few things to consider. It's important that we understand the way the Lord's made us. For example, I'm not going to be effective with two and three year olds. I'm not going to be effective. I'm going to tick off the parents. These little two year old girls don't want anything to do with me, anyways. I scare them. I don't know why that is. One of my personal mission statements is to let little Savannah Hotra, let, let me hold her for three minutes. Is it Savannah? Yeah. She's warming up to me as well. But I need to understand what my gifts are and how I can use my gifts to edify the body. And it's not in the nursery. It's not in two, three. Now, I'll serve there. If there's a need, I'll serve there. It doesn't give us an excuse not to serve someplace when there's a need, right? But we are so much more passionate about serving when we understand what our gifts are and how to exercise those gifts to edify the body and glorify the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That's spiritual gift. For the common good. He has gifted every one of us perfectly and dynamically. And He wants to use us to edify the body and to glorify God. And if we're not, we're not honoring the Lord. If you need help in understanding what your gifts are, let me know or let Dean know, let Chris know. We've got some tools that we can help walk you through to understand what your giftedness is. Just write it on the back of the welcome card and put it in the giving box and we'll, we'll get together with you. Next thing to consider is serve the church. 
Understand your gifts. Serve the church. Galatians 6.10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, but especially to those who are the household of faith. John 13.35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And how do we show love to one another? One of the real practical ways is serving one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I got to tell you, this is the most service-oriented body. Weddings, funerals, tornadoes, babies, sickness, financial issues, foster children. The heart is moving. Sod parties. <laughs> One dear family in this church, I think they thought the whole church was going to be there, and they showed up and they were the only ones. And they worked their tails off. So thank you. Three is we need to serve our community. It's one of the practical ways that we can show Christ's love to this lost and dying community. This lost and dying world is by serving it. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, Church, believer, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We need to continue to serve this community. Serve your neighbors. Pray. Pray as a family that the Lord would give you opportunities, that He would reveal opportunities to serve your next-door neighbor. I can guarantee you there's neighbors all around you that could use some help. I wonder what they would say if you just popped out there one spring morning and mowed their lawn. They came up and worked the lawn as mowed. Shoveled their walk. It's not my spiritual gift, but it might be yours. <laughs> Where are you serving? Are you serving just in the church? Maybe you need to serve in the community. Are you serving exclusively in the community? Maybe you need to serve in the church. Consider both of those. Fifth core value, relational evangelism. God's message of forgiveness through Christ is most effectively conveyed through the context of personal relationships. We see that all throughout Scripture. If, if I had you raise your hand, most of you were the Lord drew you to Himself through the grace extended to you and the Word of God shared to you through a friend, through a one-on-one. Very few of us came to Christ at a church service. Very few of us came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. A lot of people did, but most of us have come to Christ through the context of a personal relationship. You say, well, golly, that's, I'm not sure that's for me. I know that somebody befriended me, and they shared the gospel with me, and God drew me to, to himself. But I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure I'm called to this task. Isn't that your job, Dan? Yeah, it's my job. And there's no greater privilege on the earth than be able to sit down with somebody and point them, point them, point them to Jesus. So how do I do it? Let me submit this to you. Very first thing to do, pray. Pray. Maybe make a list. Our friend Tom Harkis has something called this list seven for heaven. Call it whatever you want. Make a list of people that you and your family can faithfully pray for. That the Lord will remove the scales from their eyes and turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Because this world is fading away. 
And there are going to be people that are going to perish. They're going to spend an eternity in torment. And I'm speaking to you, as I'm hearing myself, I'm sounding self-righteous because I don't do this. I so desire to have an urgency in my heart for my mom and dad, for my brothers and my sisters, my biological brothers and sisters who are without Christ. And the only thing that I can do for sure is pray. Colossians 4, 2-4, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us. Let's pray for each other. That God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. Paul says, For which I have also been imprisoned in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Would you pray for me? And I would love to be able to pray for you. Nancy has an opportunity on Friday mornings where she's doing a Bible study with a lady that's without Christ. And I want you to know about that because I want you to be praying for this lady. I want to know about, for, I want to know about people in your Jerusalem, in your world, that you just so desire to see come to Christ. And I'd love to be able to pray that the Lord will give you opportunities to share Christ with that person. Next is, we've got to understand the gospel. We've got to understand the gospel. Because that's the only thing, that's the only truth that's going to save. Romans 10 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Folks, devour books on the gospel. Read Living the Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mohaney. Read the gospel prose, P-R-O-S-E. Read The Surrendered Life by Andrew Murray. Read books that just saturate your heart and your mind with the gospel. Understand it. Third way to do it is love and respectful behavior. Love your neighbors. We have a tendency in the church, in America especially, to be religious. I don't see it here. But we're pious. We are useless in God's hands because we're fighting too many battles. And the only battle the Lord really wants us to fight is taking the gospel and injecting it into society. Taking the gospel and injecting it into society. In building relationships and serving others, salvation should be our ultimate motive in building relationships, not our ulterior motive. Let me say that again. In building relationships with people without Christ, our ultimate motive should be that they come to Christ, not our ulterior motive. In other words, don't make people a project. Don't make people a project. Love them with the love of Christ. Love them with the love of Christ. They'll see right through the project thing. Invite is the fourth key. Get out of your comfort zone. I'm preaching to me as much as I am to you. Get out of your comfort zone. Spend time with people that are without Christ. I can guarantee you, you're not going to be able to line everything up and just, okay, now I've got the Roman road memorized. I know how to share Christ. Um, you know, I've got, I've got John 3.16 memorized. Okay, now let's have people over. Have them over. 
And God will give you the strength. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the grace to open your mouth when you need to open your mouth, to listen when you need to listen. Because it's not us that's going to save many ways. But there's somehow that the Lord uses us and we move forward to inviting people to be a part of our life. I met a, a couple at, at uh, Loodles a week and a half ago. I sat down, I got up, and I sat back down and this couple was next to me. Mitch and Janice. I talked to them for an hour and a half. It was unbelievable. And I walked away. I didn't get a phone number or anything. I've never seen them since. But I walked away going, you know what? I could be friends with these people. And they are totally without Christ. We got into deep spiritual things. And it's not wrong to be friends with non-Christians. We just want to be careful that we don't immerse ourselves in the world. Next is be ready. Be ready to give an answer. First Peter 3. Last core value, proactive multiplication. We want to be about multiplying. We want to be about discipleship. We are responsible to pass along to others the knowledge, skills, and opportunities that have been trusted to us for personal, small group, and church multiplication. As individuals, we're to disciple others and we're to apprentice others. First Tim, or Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pass things on to each other, men. Let's, in our ministries, we should have apprentices underneath us. If you're leading a community group, you should be thinking about who's going to be the next person to lead the community group. Who are you building into? Who are you meeting with on a weekly basis? Titus 2.3, I love this. For, it's for women. It says, older women are to teach what is good and, to, and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Ladies build into each other, especially you ladies that have a little bit of age on the younger ladies. You've got a responsibility, a God-given responsibility. You've lived more life walking with the Lord, and you've got an obligation. The Lord has given you gifts. He's given you wisdom to pass on to younger ladies. And corporately, church planting. Yes, we are a church that's about church planting. We've been a church that's been around for seven years, and by God's amazing grace, we planted a church that is a, alive and well, and people are being saved in this church. August of 2006, we sent 10 or 11 families to Greeley. There's about 120 of them that are meeting on Sunday mornings, and there's been about 10, 15 people that have been dunked in the tub because they gave their, their life to Jesus. And it's because of our commitment, yours and my commitment, to church planting and our releasing these people and the resources to let them do their thing. So my question to you is, who are you apprenticing? I want to just spend just a minute, and then we're going to bring the worship team up. Five-year vision. A vision provides a picture and answers the questions of what and where. What's the next five years going to look like? Pull that last... I'll actually leave that slide there. I'm sorry. Um, In developing a vision or direction for any organization, it's important to understand not only the, the mission and not only the values that govern the organization... But it's important to understand the gifts and talents of people that are in the body. It's, understand, it's important to understand how you all are wired. The Lord has brought you to this body. One example is, is that we've never had missionaries in this church, ever. And we've got four missionary families in this church. You know what we've got to do? We've got to pay attention. Okay, Lord, what do we do? We've, and, and we really feel like the Lord is calling us to have a bigger impact in cross-cultural missions. 
So we want to look at the demographics of the community we serve. We want to look at the state of the economy. We want to look at the, at the current culture. That's how you develop a vision. And a vision is fluid. It'll change over time. The mission and the core values don't change at all. Some of the questions that we ask in developing a vision is, what is God telling us? Where is he leading us? What makes us unique? Who are we? What is our assignment? What's the next step? You know, we had a sense that the Lord does not want us to make huge changes. We have a sense that the Lord has us on the right track by His grace. The vision, the five-year vision can be encapsulated that we want to reach farther and grow deeper. Grow deeper and reach farther. We want more of what He has already given us. We want to go deeper in our intimacy with Him and intimacy with each other. We want to reach further with the gospel in the community of Windsor, the front range of Colorado, until the ends of the earth. And I'm going to just bait you with five vision steps, and then Chris is going to deep dive into these. One of them is moving into a new facility. The other is caring for the needs and equipping the church family. Third is encouraging every one of us to have a missional lifestyle. Fourth, expanding our current training, sending, and supporting, uh, supporting capacity. And fifth is sharpening our focus on missions. If you just show that last slide up there real quick. This is a busy slide, but if you look up there, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that is, that is fixed, and by God's grace, that's our mission from now until Christ comes again. Our core values, our core values were developed by the Holy Spirit's leading. Look at the gifts, the talents, the passions of people here in this body, of each of us. Our core values, our, excuse me, let me back up. Core values are, our vision was developed by the Holy Spirit, gifts, talents, passions of you that are here. Our vision is developed by the community that we live in. We've got a unique community. We've got a community that does not have any homeless shelters. We have a community that does not have a high population of poverty. We have a community that has, has uh, an upwardly mobile uh, uh, population. And then we have an economy that is imploding. So we have uh, shaped our vision, vision based on that. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are and your grace is all sufficient. God, I thank you that you are the head of this church. And God, I just ask you that even as I spoke up here today, God, it's all about you. Lord, I so love the theme verse of the past six months, and I really believe it's a theme verse of the next couple of years in this life of this church and in my own life, Proverbs 16, 9, that the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Lord, we, we just want to walk humbly behind you. and We want to see where it is that you're working. And Lord, we just ask that you let us come along for the ride. So, Lord, as we get ready to just dig deep, dive deep into vision next week, if there's anything that that we have come up with in this five-year vision that you don't want us to even have on paper, would you show that to us? Lord, we need you. We're dependent on you. This is your church. We are your people. And I just pray that you would just do whatever you please with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.